welcome to Diversity Matters, a show about diversity, equity, and inclusion at Ireland Home-Based Services. I'm your co-host, Susanna Olivas. And I'm your other co-host, Jennifer Wells. As a reminder, our mission statement for the DE&I Committee is working together to build a diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment for all. Before we get started, we wanted to reinstate the goal for this podcast, and that is to talk about all topics that may affect us during our roles while working at IHBS, whether that be with clients, coworkers, or leaders in the company. This episode is going to talk about the issues that may come with going back to school. Most of the schools in our regions have gone back to school already, so we may start to see issues come out that may prompt us to talk about them. It may vary from age group to age group or even school to school, but having a conversation about it can help answer questions or at least begin a conversation about the issue. The following are the resources that we use to gather information for the episode today, and that includes kidshealth.org, healthychildren.org, the Child Mind Institute, and scholastic.com. To start, we're going to talk about some tips for parents who have children going back to school. One of the biggest issues that come up is communication with children. There are a multitude of things to talk to your kids about as you go back to school. One of the biggest things happening right now that affects children in school is the pandemic. The simplest tip for parents as they talk to their kids about the pandemic are to answer their questions simply and honestly. If there's something you're unsure of, don't be afraid to say, I'm not sure of that, but we can find the answer together and then do some research. Another thing to keep in mind is your child's feeling not only about the pandemic, but school as a whole. A quick tip for this is to stay calm and stay positive while listening to your child's thoughts and feelings. Another tip for parents who have children in school is to maintain your routines and schedules with children. This is crucial during their development and helps them maintain a sense of normalcy. Another tip for parents is to model how to handle difficult situations and stress. An easy way to do this is to keep yourself in check with how you react to situations at work or in the home. Also remember that it is important to use positive discipline techniques at home and to remember they might be disciplined in school. So if you do it at home as well, you can even communicate with a teacher after school has started to try to make things as similar as possible. Remember that going back to school may trigger separation anxiety to some children. And in addition, some children may also suffer additional anxiety about leaving home during a pandemic. The best way to handle this is to not let your anxiety create any more anxiety for your children. If necessary, you can always practice separating from your child in small steps. So go to the grocery store without them. Leave your child with a babysitter or the other parent or somebody that you trust. And then add time to how long you are away from home so they can get used to not being around you 24-7. This is especially important with the smaller age children. Remind them that you are proud that they are going to school or going back to school. And then think positive with your children. Ask them about things about school. Ask them good things that happened in school. What are they looking forward to? If they were having a bad day, you can even ask, well, what was good about yesterday or last week? And remind them that good things are happening even if they do have a bad day at times. And again, modeling that through your own responses to your difficult situations is a key component in that. 
a second area that we're going to discuss is how to handle different social circles of all age groups with your children. One of the biggest things to remember is that there is a difference between a friend group and a clique. Friend groups are more opening and more welcome to others, while cliques are less likely to accept new people who have differences. Cliques are more restricted and make it very clear that not just anyone can be part of their crowd. Yes, and you're going to see cliques a lot more often in older age children, even college, but high school especially, versus elementary school. One thing to know about a group of friends is that they all normally form because they have something in common together. This could be sports, club, games, or even they know that they're diverse in their own ways, so they gravitate towards each other. And then with groups, you can be part of more than one group. And that is the big difference between cliques. Members also feel supported in a group and they feel like they can actually be themselves versus having to be part of a clique of people. And groups are more welcoming to other people who want to join them. And cliques are almost the polar opposite of a friend group. Cliques are more about maintaining your social status rather than being centered on shared values and beliefs. Cliques are also more likely to use their power or their popularity to hurt other people on purpose. This can stem from excluding others, insulting others, bullying, trying to fix others through things like makeovers or interventions. They also may target a specific victim, whether that be one person or one specific group of people like those with disabilities. They usually only socialize within that clique. They don't branch out to other groups. Now, a question that can be asked is why people join cliques? If this is such an exclusive, powerful, more or less hurtful group, why would anyone want to join? Susanna, would you like to answer that question? Yes. Cliques are a fast and easy way to become popular and cool, especially when you're in high school. If you feel like you're out on your own, you don't really have a lot of friends, but you notice that you can be part of this clique for some reason, a lot of kids are going to want to join that group just so that they can get a higher status. Cliques give you that social status because cliques within cliques, some of them are more popular than others. So if you can get in one, it's already better than being in none. A lot of people join cliques because they don't want to feel left out. It also gives someone who is a natural leader, a position to lead others within the clique. And this can be both a good and a bad thing. Another thing to keep in mind is how do you leave a clique? Do you just walk away? Do you not sit with them at lunch? Do you just start talking to somebody else? It can be open to interpretation. Most members decide on their own if they want out. And that could be because they don't want to listen to the rules of the leader. They don't like hurting others. They're really interested in having more than this small group of friends. Or that they realize that maybe this is not the best fit for them. Um, they can get kicked out of the group or they can just leave. Leaders who are in charge of everybody and what they're doing can lose power and almost have a coup more or less for the leadership. Um, it also can change because people get older and when you get older, you get more mature or you realize you want different things, so they leave clicks. And as people get older, they're the leader of their clique can be someone who ages out of high school, and so they have to find a new leader for their little group, and that might cause some dissension around the group. So that is how and why some people leave cliques. 
Now, why are these two topics important? Why are cliques and friend groups important? They are important because this is how people make friends in school. It's how you socialize. It's how you find that person that you can lean on. Being a friend with somebody, it can help you be a good listener. Mm -hmm. It has somebody there that can also listen to you and your problems and what you're upset about. And it can bring people together who have shared experiences. Like, let's say two kids, both their parents are going through a divorce. They can become friends because they have somebody else to talk to those problems about. Or it can... Friends can also teach you how to respect others. So the more friends that people have, the more socialized that they can be and learn what is and what is not acceptable in society. Exactly. And this is important to talk to your children about because it's it's important that they know how to make friends, that it's okay to have different friends, and also that it's okay to drift apart from your current friends. You're allowed to develop new interests. You're allowed to make different friends. You're allowed to feel like you have less in common than when your friendship started and it's okay. There's also moving to take into consideration. What do you do with a kid who's new in school? They feel like they have to maintain their loyalty to their old friends and it's okay to let them know that while they maintain their friendship from further away that they can make a new friend group and then that's okay. This also helps children build up their diversity which is the next topic that we're going to cover is talking to your children about diversity and why that in and of itself is important. Talking to your children about diversity, there are a lot of different things that you can do, and each culture is going to do this differently. But one thing that you can do is diversity is best taught at home so that the kids can also start to do this while they are in school, while they're out of school, while they're in sports. If you're teaching them, talking to them openly about this, when they go to school and they see someone who isn't like them, it's not going to be so much of a shock to them. As a parent or a guardian or somebody who has a younger person who is trusting of them, it is important to don't let fear or uncertainty or discomfort prevent you from talking to your children about diversity. Exactly. And another thing to remember is that your family has its own unique social, cultural, and religious cues. There's not one single set of right answers for any one person or family, and the correct answer is going to vary for each person and each family and encourage your child to be themselves and not be afraid of going to school because, oh, well, I'm different. What if I don't have the same culture as my friends? What if my teacher is of a different ethnicity and that it's okay? Because overall, when you teach your child that it's okay to be diverse, you're teaching them to accept other people's diversities and building that environment of acceptance within them. And then while you're doing that, you also have to teach cultural sensitivity. Different cultures may view things differently. An example that I read about was praise. In American culture, it is if a child starts walking and then they fall, you're going to praise them on that little bit that they're walking and you're going to tell them they did so good and that's so great. But in a Chinese culture, they get disciplined for falling. They're not going to be praised. They're just going to look at the bat, which isn't a bad thing whatsoever. It's just the way that they do things is different than the way you do things. So if your child sees something like this, they might think it's wrong. 
So teaching them that there are differences in the way that families interact just based on a cultural difference is very important. Exactly. And helping them learn to appreciate those differences. It's important to, to teach your kids at an early age that we need to appreciate differences. This can be called a anti-bias lesson and helping them identify their own biases and then learn from them. This, again, promotes appreciation rather than fear when it comes to differences, both in the home, at school, and out in the community as they're interacting with people in a social setting. Yeah, children will then start to recognize bias and stereotypes when they see them, so they will know the difference between the two. Children learn early that they are like people like them. Like different children, like for me growing up in a Mexican household, I grew up speaking Spanish, Mexican food, all that. So going into something that wasn't like that, I knew there was a difference. Teaching them that there are differences between multiple cultures, multiple, it's okay. Yeah, they need to they need to be reassured that that is fine. And something to, for you to keep in mind is that how you respond to your child when they're asking questions about diversity is critical because the answers and comments that you give about differences are what is going to shape their mindset around people who are different than them. So if you're saying, no, it's not okay to be like that, it's not okay to be like this, that's what they're going to learn to accept. Whereas the opposite of that, if you have an open mind and say, you know, for me, it's okay that Susanna grew up in a Hispanic culture and eating Hispanic food and speaking Spanish. And I grew up in a predominantly Caucasian culture where we ate things like pizza rolls and pierogies and ungodly amounts of spaghetti. It's okay for Susanna and I to be friends because while this is part of who we are, it doesn't mean that we can't interact. And if I had learned differently, if my parents had said, no, you can't be friends with people like that, then I would have only Caucasian friends because that's what I would have been taught. So remember that your voice, your opinion is what shapes your child. And while they might reach a different mindset when they're older, you're the one who's influencing them in their most malleable mindset and age. So make sure that you are shaping your responses in a way that is promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion with your child. Yeah, and remember that a lack of a response can also be interpreted as not being accepting to talk about the differences. So let's say your child asks a question, why does that family do that? Or why are they acting like that? Not answering them can make them think, oh, they're doing something wrong mm-hmm. versus starting a conversation and, or even saying, I don't know, but we can ask them or I don't know, we can do some research and find this out would be a lot different because not only can it make them think that it's wrong, it could also make them think that they're not allowed to say anything, not allowed to have anything to do with that. It could completely shut them off from a conversation. Yes. And another important thing to keep in mind is your family responding to your child. So your parents, your grandparents, your siblings, how do you want them to respond if your child asks them these questions about diversity? Have that conversation with them early on so that way they know, you know, hey, if grandma is picking you up from school today, you can still ask her questions and you can have the confidence that grandma is going to give what you deem an appropriate answer to your child. You also want to keep in mind your own behavior. So let's say I want my child to help little old ladies cross the street, but my child never sees me help little old ladies cross the street. Why then in my child's mind would that be a socially acceptable behavior? 
mold your own behavior, your own attitude, your own responses in what you want to see from your child. And not only that, but how you want your child to be treated. Because if you're not willing to accept that treatment from others, why would you then dish that treatment out to others? So keep in mind your own behavior as you are modeling what is appropriate for your own child. On top of modeling the behavior and attitudes you want your child to develop, you also need to model fighting the behaviors that you do not want your child to develop. So if I let stereotypical or prejudicial remarks be said in front of me and I don't intervene, I am then teaching my child that it's okay for other people to say these derogatory remarks to whoever they want to, and I won't stand up for it. I won't, I won't stand up for what is right, for what is correct, and what is the proper treatment of all human beings. That is what I'm letting my child learn if I don't speak up. So use your voice to shape your child. Use your responses to shape your child. And let that be a, you know what? My parent says that that's wrong and they speak up for it. They don't just say it, they act on it. So make sure that you are living that for them. And then you can also just try to create opportunities for children to interact or even make friends with people who are different from them. This can be school dates, play dates, anything for the children, or even maybe you don't have anyone with a child their age that is from a different diversity or ethnicity. You can still take them places, take them to museums or even restaurants where they're going to learn something different, experience things that they won't experience at home with you. This can even be done with watching movies like Mm -hmm. history. They make so many great movies for all the age groups that explain all of these things now. And then you can also try to expose them to role models of their own culture as well as those from others. Because diversity is very important to teach, but you don't want to forget that you yourself and your family is diverse in their own ways. You have your own traditions, your own way of doing things. Remind your child that being themselves, being the way their family is, is just as important as learning and accepting others in their traditions and roles. That wraps up our discussion about helping your kids accept those who are different than them. The next couple of topics we're going to discuss are mental health and how things like anxiety and depression can heighten when you are dealing with children who are going back to school. The first thing we're going to talk about is some tips to help a child with anxiety as they are approaching school time. We're just going to do some quick tips and tricks to help them. This won't be perfect or even effective for everybody, but even starting to implement these things to help any child just starting school or maybe even college, these little things can help them. So one of the first things and most important things is to set up a system or a plan. So you have to prepare yourself. You have to make time for yourself and put that all like a calendar so that you know when you have time for a little bit of everything and stick to your plan as much as possible. You also wanna identify resources both inside of the school system and outside of the school system. So identifying whether the school counselor is also a licensed mental health care physician, or if it's just someone to talk to when they're having a really rough day, and maybe looking into whether or not you need a therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist outside of school to give additional help and support. Look for things like support groups within the school, outside of the school, and just getting your kid as involved as possible in this area to let them know that it is okay to need backup, for lack of a better word, in terms of mental health. Then you can also help kids figure out what their priorities are. What are the things that they feel they need to focus on the most? And if they can't figure it out or they're not sure or 
They might be prioritizing in a way that might hurt them. You can always help them, but keep their voice in mind during this time too. Help them figure out which classes may take more time, more work, more struggle, so they might need to focus a little bit more time for that. Another way you can help them is to encourage them to be in their best health. Encourage them not to skip meals. Encourage them to have a good sleep schedule. Have them commit to studying and help them out in this area. Encourage exercise as a family. Be kind to yourself. Encourage your kids to be kind to themselves. And also teach them that it's not okay to compare yourself to others because each individual has their own system that works best for them. And comparison is the enemy to being content and allowing yourself to grow. So encourage them to be the best person that they can be so that way they can thrive in their school system. A lot of those tips for anxiety also go with depression as well. So the first thing, again, with depression is to set up a system or a plan for it. And also to set a goal. Set up your homework by class. Set up time goals. So tell yourself, I have homework in four classes. I'm going to focus one hour of my time to each one of those classes or less. But setting a goal and a time is going to be very helpful to each student. Yeah, and don't be afraid to encourage your child to take breaks. So maybe your time goal can be, you know, for this hour, I'm going to work on my history homework. And then as soon as that timer goes off, I'm going to take a break and have a time limit on your break or you're going to get, you know, lost and taking a nap on the couch. But have it so I have this work and then I have a reward where I take a break and I don't do anything. And something that will help with this is to prioritize what you're doing. Make a list of your assignments. Make a list of which one is most important Map out your due dates on your planner or your calendar. Use your planner or calendar and have things written down. This will help you as you're working through. Say, okay, I've got three hours. I've got this much homework, but I've got this project that's due tomorrow that I need to finish. Maybe we need to do that first. So taking breaks and prioritizing what you're doing is going to be critical as you are helping your children go back to school. You should also encourage your children to see a therapist. Just like we talked about before, it could be somebody at school or it could be somebody outside of school. They can even go to groups. But seeing somebody, talking to someone, having that also in their planner, in their schedule is going to be very important because the consistency of that is going to be the most helpful for them. It is also important to help them eliminate distractions. So don't go and try to study in a room full of people. If you know that's not going to be a helpful to you, go to your room by yourself. Set time to go to the library. Set time where you'll have headphones in so that you're just just you and the homework, just you and whatever you're working on. And again, encourage them to be healthy, to be their best. Um, Encourage them that all they have to do is their best. You're not asking for perfection. You're not asking for everything to be top tier. It just needs to be their best. Again, encourage them not to compare themselves to others and that not everyone manages a mental health illness on top of being in school. Encourage exercise, encourage self-care, and encourage them to get out of the house, whether that's, I mean, you could set a hammock up outside. You you could go bicycling as a family. You could go for walks. If you have pets, you could take the pets for a walk and just encourage them to balance their self-care with their schoolwork. So that way one does not overwhelm the other. Well, that is the end of episode two for our podcast, Diversity Matters. Thank you all for so much for listening. To recap this episode, we talked about going back to school, the different social circles, talking to your children about diversity, and tips for dealing with both anxiety and depression. 
make sure to check out the announcements for our upcoming shows. We would like to have guest speakers on the show, so please feel free to let us know if you would like to be one. If you want to follow up with questions or advice or to be a guest speaker, please contact Susanna or I via email. If you want to submit a request for upcoming topics, again, please send us an email with that as well. We can't wait to hear from you.